Hall and Wilcox acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to all First Nations people joining us today. Hello and welcome to our special podcast episode about the new unfair contract terms regime that is coming into force in just a few weeks on the 9th of November to be exact. My name is Susie Leesk and I'm a partner at Hall & Wilcox. Today I'm delighted to be joined by my colleagues partner James Deedy and special counsel Mark Levin to discuss the new unfair contract terms regime. Mark and James, welcome. Thanks Susie, great to be with you. Now, these are significant changes to the unfair contract terms regime for both business contracts and financial products. These changes not only broaden the scope of contracts captured by the new regime, but they also introduce significant penalties. Businesses that use or enter into standard form contracts are really likely to be impacted by the unfair contract term laws. Now, Mark, James, I think that's just about all businesses just about. Mark, can you run us through some of those new significant changes to start us off? Well, Susie, I think perhaps the, the most significant change for people to be aware of is um, the introduction of some significant civil penalties. This regime has been around for quite a number of years, but um, there weren't any civil penalties for, for breaches, which is now changing. So from November, the penalties are quite significant. For companies, the greater of $50 million, three times the value of the benefit obtained or if the value of that benefit can't be determined, 30% of the company's adjusted turnover during the um, breach turnover period. And for individuals, penalties of up to $2.5 million. So really significant penalties, which really should sharpen everyone's mind in relation to these laws. And that's per contravention. So every time they have an unfair contract term in their contracts, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So the penalties can really build up um, really quickly if you have a contract that has quite a number of unfair terms in it. So it's it really does make the consequences of, of breaching these laws really quite significant. As as Mark said, you know, they're, they're really significant changes to penalties. And I think, you know, it's it's been a regime where I think the regulators have been frustrated by the lack of um, penalties available. And I think what we'll really see is a, a bit of a shift in mindset around compliance with unfair terms, similar to the changes that we saw when um, penalties for contraventions of privacy laws came in, for example, it went from being sort of an issue around, you know, what are the consequences reputationally if you breach, as opposed to actually being liable for penalties. And I think we might see something similar with unfair contract terms. James, I completely agree with that. And I know the ACCC and ASIC have both come out as the regulators and said that they will prioritise these new unfair contract laws and, and enforcement of those new provisions. And essentially, I think they have a new big stick in the form of new powers and new penalties. And so, like all regulators, they're going to want to use them. So, Mark, can you walk us through some of those new changes and how the new laws will work come 9 November? Sure. One of the, the other big changes that's coming in is, is what will be a small business for the purpose of determining a small business contract. So previously or currently to be a small business, the relevant business um, had to have less than 20 employees and also the contract had to have an upfront price which didn't exceed a specific threshold. Now from November, that's changing quite significantly. So um, but be a small business contract, uh, one party of the contract now just has to be a business that employs less than 100 people or has a turnover for the last income year of less than $10 million. Um, and there's now no monetary threshold. 
So you can meet the small business contract by meeting one of the two thresholds, having less than 100, 100 employees or a, a turnover of less than 10 million. And, and I think what, what will happen is we'll, there'll be quite a number of, the number of um, businesses that qualify under these tests will be significantly increased. So the scope of the uh, an application of the laws will apply to a lot uh, larger number of contracts than before. So less than 100 employees and less than $10 million in turnover. I think that's a lot of businesses out there that's going to be covered by these new laws. And tell me, what exactly is a standard form contract in terms of the application of these laws? The laws apply to two types of contracts, a consumer contract or a small business contract. Um, and there's definitions of that in, in the Act. But once you've got a consumer contract or a small business contract, it also has to be a standard form contract for the laws to apply. Um, and a couple of important things to note in terms of standard form contracts. Firstly, there's a presumption that courts have or take that a contract is a standard form contract. So it's a, so it has to be, um, that has to be rebutted. And secondly, there's no definition expressly set out in the Act about what a standard form contract is. There are a number of um, presumptions that a court will consider, including if there's uneven bargaining power, if a contract was prepared without or before discussions between the parties, if there's little or no opportunity to negotiate. And I think one of the important differences, though, is that a standard form contract isn't necessarily the same as a template contract. Lots of businesses out there will have a set of template contracts or agreements that they use. And just because it's a template won't necessarily mean that it's used as a standard form contract. So each, each um, circumstance will will differ and, and you need to consider that when trying to determine whether the laws apply. And James, just to clarify that point, if I'm a business and I negotiate my standard template form contract, will the laws still apply to me in terms of the new unfair contract terms regime? In the event that you negotiate the contract, then in all likelihood that won't be a standard form contract. Um, I guess where it's more challenging, is, as Mark has sort of mentioned, is that the, the, the definition of when something is or isn't a standard form is um, is not entirely clear and there is that presumption. So you've got to essentially rebut the presumption. So what we find is that it, it means for a lot of organisations that, you know, the circumstances where they might negotiate sometimes, but they might not negotiate on other occasions, then that can be a tricky situation as to, well, you know, do you need to be thinking about unfair terms compliance to cover off on those situations where a contract that sometimes is negotiated might, for you know, in other instances, not be negotiated where there's a lower value or it's a higher volume type situation. So it's, you know, it, it, that the sort of uh, lack of clarity around that definition and the rebuttable presumption um, do make it sort of uh, combined also with penalties for non-compliance now sort of they, it does make it a slightly trickier question for organizations around identifying exactly when they've got a got a standard form contract to deal with and i think it's important though there are a few changes been introduced around some additional presumptions that a court can take into account and one of those is whether the party whether the ability to negotiate um, was only for old, a minor or insubstantial variations. And I think that's important because some of the case laws to date has really focused on the ability of parties to have an opportunity to negotiate as rebutting the presumption. And, and the view the course took was as long as you're given the opportunity to negotiate, it doesn't matter necessarily what you were able to negotiate, just that the opportunity was there. Um, but these new presumptions may, may have been the course take a different view. And so it provides a little bit more uncertainty about what the courts might say in the future. And that's really interesting, Mark, from the perspective of um, 
say an in-house counsel, for example, you can't just say, oh, they had the opportunity to negotiate anymore or make a tiny minor or insubstantial change to get it outside of those new provisions. I think that's a really interesting clarification to these laws in that it's not so easy to step outside of them if you just negotiate a little bit. Yes, I think that's right. I think the courts won't, won't still won't require you to agree to um, changes because the party raises them, but you need to at least, I think, uh, genuinely engage in that negotiation process and not put up a, a, a brick wall. So, Mark, for the benefit of our listeners who are not as familiar with the laws, talk us through what is unfair. What would be considered an unfair contract term? Sure. So the, the test of uh, whether a term is unfair or not hasn't changed or isn't changing so for a term in a standard form business or consumer contract to be unfair must satisfy three things. Firstly, the term must cause a significant imbalance in the party's rights and obligations under the contract. Uh, next, the term must not be reasonably necessary to protect the legitimate uh, interests of the party who would be advantaged by the term. And then finally, uh, the term would cause detriment to the small business if it were, were to be relied upon. And here we're not talking just about financial financial detriment there could be other detriment such as as delay um, and the detriment can be um, trivial or insignificant it doesn't have to necessarily be material so mark if we put that another way if there's no significant imbalance we're fine if there's no detriment then it might not be unfair and the one that i really think is interesting from a case law perspective is that legitimate interest that you're trying to protect and i think that's a really commercial perspective that you have to take in terms of justifying it and the case law that i've seen that's fascinating is actually not the ones where the ACCC say is successful in saying something's an unfair term but where they've been unsuccessful and businesses have defended it on the basis that there might be a financial or other legitimate business interests that they're trying to protect in those unfair contract terms. James, can you give us some insight into the types of clauses that have been held to be unfair by the courts? Yeah, definitely. So we've had some form of unfair contract terms laws on the books really since 2010. So there's been a fair bit of case law um, enforcement decisions and the like around the types of terms that can be a problem from an unfair terms perspective. And so I think there's really sort of two categories of clauses that have been held to be unfair terms. There's a category where when you look at it, it's not that surprising when you think about it that the clauses were held to be unfair. So things like um, unilateral variation clauses. So clauses just allow one party to change the price of the contract without having to get consent of the other party. Um, things like overly broad termination rights that make it really easy for one party to get out of the contract, but make it pretty hard for the other party to get out of the contract. Um, overly favourable um, liability and indemnity provisions that really protect one party, but leave another party sort of more exposed. So they're the sorts of clauses, and there's many other examples where they've been held to be unfair, and you, you can really sort of understand the problem with some of those clauses. But I think there's also a category, which is some clauses that have been held to be unfair that when you, when you sort of first look at it, it seems a bit surprising. So a good example of this is an entire agreement clause, really common clause in contracts, which basically says that the, the contract represents the whole of the agreement between the parties. Now, those terms have been held to be unfair potentially because they exclude pre-contractual statements or representations that consumers or small businesses may want to rely on. 
And there's other similar examples around some exclusivity provisions, for example, have sometimes been held to be unfair terms in certain contracts and then held not to be unfair in other contracts. So as, as you say, Susie, the, the sort of the, the interest in um, the interesting area can be where have where is a term held to be unfair in one case, but potentially not unfair in another. And there's there's definitely lots of examples of where that's where that's occurred. And that's really interesting, James, from the perspective of um, business owners and and people who are uh, drafting contracts day to day in terms of how we look at contracts as a whole. And that is one of the elements that we have to consider when considering whether a, a term is unfair. And Mark, I wonder if you can elaborate a little bit on the approach that we're taking and that we're seeing businesses take um, around the drafting to mitigate some of these unfair contract terms risks. I think it's a really nuanced approach that you take when you're reviewing um, unfair, potential unfair terms. So it's not necessarily simply a case of just identifying a potential unfair term and, and crossing it out and deleting it. Um, as I said, you've got to look at whether there's a legitimate business interest being protected. Um, and, and if you can, if, if a clause is potentially unfair because it's so broad or, I mean, you know, it's a unilateral price uh, variation clause, which allows a party to, to vary a price for any reason, that's probably going to be unfair. But if the intent of that clause was to simply allow for CPI, increases, then if you draft the clause more narrowly to just allow for um, CPI variations, then it's likely, well, it's less likely to be unfair. And the courts are probably going to say, well, we can see what the legitimate interest you were trying to protect was, it was changes in CPI. So so when you, when you come across a clause that's potentially unfair, you really need to engage with the people in the business um, to understand why that clause is in there and in what circumstances they may or may not rely on it. And if you get that information and get that understanding of, of the business and, and why that clause is there, often you can actually come up with a way to refine the clause so that it probably won't be unfair. And what you're doing in that case is you're you're not only reducing the risk of the term being unfair, but you're, you're, you're not really changing the business's position because you haven't struck out the clause. It's just now reflecting the way in which they um, will most likely rely on it or want to use it. So it's a really important and sometimes nuanced approach that needs to be taken when reviewing and then amending uh, contracts for unfair terms. So we're essentially, as part of that contract review process, almost building our defence, aren't we, in terms of going, that's not significantly imbalanced or this actually is necessary to be included in this particular contract for this particular circumstance in this business in order to protect that legitimate business interest, which I think is a real challenge, wouldn't you agree, James, from a, a business owner's perspective, because there is no one-size-fits-all approach and there is no sort of tick box, yes, this contract is now fair as part of our review as, as legal advisors. I, I think that's right, Susie. I think that you know unfair terms really requires quite a different approach from from business owners but also from lawyers you know as, as lawyers we like to to draft things really broadly and try and cover off every um eventuality sort of mark's given a really good example of a, a price increase clause and you might traditionally draft a really broad price increase clause to try and cover off everything but in an unfair terms environment that can be um, challenging in terms of enforceability so you know you need to sit down and work with business owners and really identify what are the real risks that we're trying to use this clause to cover off and how can we sort of um, justify that as being um, a legitimate interest. So it really involves a bit of a, 
a change of approach even, um, you know, from, from a, a lawyer's perspective um, and also from a business owner's perspective in terms of how you approach some of those contract drafting issues. And if I can play devil's advocate for a minute, I think there's a lot of businesses out there who, given we're talking about business-to-business contracts um, for a lot of these and, and more are going to be covered because of that small business definition expanding so broadly, what do you say to, I guess, those business owners who um, think it's a little bit unfair to have uh, these regulatory regimes come over the top of their commercial contract processes? I think I think the probably the, the answer to that is that well, you need to be aware of these laws. It's not going to apply to every contract you have or every contract you enter into. You know, there's a number of thresholds that have to be met before you, you get to a, an adverse finding. And the main one is, I think, it's got to be a standard form contract. So if you're a business and you have a, a contract and it's a, it's a sort of a template-based contract that you send out for a, a type of transaction and you, you send it out on a take-it-or-leave-it basis, then you, you probably do need to be a little bit concerned that the laws may apply and I need to ensure that those contracts are compliant. And you can and you can see why the, the Asia will see trying to protect maybe businesses that don't have the power to negotiate or that feel like they don't have any power to, to seek variations. But if you're a business using a template contract and you're allowing and, and you're reflecting commercial arrangements that have been agreed with, with another business, and then you're, you know, you send that agreement off to the other party and let them review it and and provide feedback and engage in negotiations if if they wish, then there's a good chance that these these laws won't apply. So I think the message to all businesses is you need to be aware of these laws and and be mindful of when they might apply, and and really I guess do an audit of your contract and that you have to try and identify where they may or may not apply. Because on first blush, um, you might think, "Geez, this is going to really impact how I how I contract." But when you get down into it, it may not be all your contracts are subject to these laws, but there are maybe a few key ones that you need to review. I I think. To Mark's point as well, you know, these laws don't mean you can't ever have a certain type of clause. It doesn't mean you can't ever have a price variation clause or you can't ever have a termination clause. It just m- might mean that you know that clause might need to be a bit narrower than it had previously been, or it might just need to be a bit bit of thought put into you know how do we draft it in a way that you know reflects sort of a, a more balanced position potentially. So. Um, you know, it's not the case that you have to throw out all EV contracts or anything like that, but it, it does mean that, you know, it might just need to be a bit of thought around, you know, the contract terms and um, how, they're, how they're drafted and how they're presented to, to your customers and your clients. So, James, the three of us review a lot of contracts and are doing a lot of these unfair contract reviews. How are we helping clients and, and what are you seeing in terms of the, the trends and some of the approaches um, that are being taken to these unfair contract term reviews? Yeah, definitely. We're, we're obviously lot, reviewing lots of contracts from an unfair terms perspective at the moment. And so one of the things that we've found from those reviews is that they can be, you know, a, a really useful exercise. And I know that, you know, a lawyer saying that reviewing a contract is a useful exercise uh, might sound a bit bit unsurprising, but what what we do find is that you know, when you go through these contracts, sometimes there's sometimes clauses in there that um, clients will say, "Well, actually, we've never used that," or "I'm not even sure why that clause is in there." It's just sort of always been in there, and so yeah, that can be a process sometimes of simplification of saying, "Well, we don't need some of these clauses in there. We can actually simplify the contracts, make them easier." for our customers to understand and um, hopefully reduce a bit of friction in terms of the contracting process and make it easier to get get sort of 
um, contracts signed and accepted by by customers. So we're definitely we're definitely seeing that. Um, I think the other thing that we we're seeing a lot of um, is that you know it, it, it's a really useful exercise to sort of think through the reasons that particular clauses are in a contract because sometimes you know the clause might actually not cover um, the risk that the business is really concerned about and might cover a, a different risk or um, something like that. So it can actually result in a you know, in a in a better contract that actually genuinely covers off risks that people are particularly concerned about versus something that you know is is sort of broad or something that's just sort of been there because it's always been there. So it's think- quite a commercial and pragmatic approach, and I guess I'm also seeing it as a risk management approach where different businesses have different risk profiles, and so some will be very conservative to avoid regulator scrutiny, and others will want to push the envelope a little bit more to protect some of those commercial interests. What about you, Mark? What are you seeing? Yeah, I agree with what James has said there. I think what we're finding is that clients, there haven't been many times when we've said to a client, look, we think this term's potentially unfair, um, and we haven't been able to come up with a way to either they sort of said, look, we don't use that term or we haven't become off the way where we can um, make it reflect um, more legitimate interest and, and how they use it. So we're not finding, um, I guess, many cases where there's a there's just the lawyers are saying um, you can't have that clause and the, the client will be saying we need it and there's a there's a impasse. But we're finding that there's always a way through and always a way to to protect the client's interest, but also make the sort of term is is sort of less likely to be unfair. And I think from that point of view, that the reviews that we're doing, they're not so much of a, to be to be feared as a as a compliance, you know, big stick review. They're a way to help improve the contracts in many instances. As James mentioned, it it might help reduce some of the friction points that businesses have with their other contracting parties, um, even if they're they're not negotiated. You know, having overly one-sided indemnities that are never used may may cause friction when in reality there's no need for that to to happen. So. I think what we're finding really is that the the way these reviews play out is that they're really helpful and really um, help improve the contract without really um, requiring a, a business to give up too many significant rights. Completely agree, Mark. And I think as we look towards the 9th of November, which is fast approaching, I think from a regulator perspective, the ACCC and ASIC have come out and said there's been 12 months to transition and get ready for these new laws and it's very much an enforcement priority and the ACCC has said they've long advocated for this change and it's no surprise that they will be prioritising compliance with these requirements and I think there's that view from the regulators that for too long businesses have failed to take the unfair contract provisions seriously and now they have these penalties in place for exactly that reason and it is going to become a really important part of businesses' risk and compliance program. So to wrap up, James, Mark, how can businesses get ready? What should they be doing now? I think that there's a number of ways that sort of business can get ready. Um, I think that, that there's sort of an, a, a review of your contracts approach that you can take. And I think that that's sort of there's sort of three stages to that. There's sort of a, an identification stage. So just, just identifying all the contracts that you enter into um, and then the second stage is often to to sort of work out which of the contracts are potentially subject to the unfair terms regime, because there might be some that are heavily negotiated, there might be some that are never entered into with small businesses um, or consumers, and so you might be able to rule some out as being actually not subject to the unfair terms regime. And then the sort of third part of that process is often the, the review process. So having a look at the clauses, identifying where we think there's an unfair terms risk, and either seeking to you know, remove the provision if people think it's not necessary anymore or amend it 
um, to try and sort of adjust it or reduce the risks or sort of ad address the legitimate interest that the clause is um, seeking to protect. So I think it's really that, that the first sort of piece is just being aware of the fact that this is coming in. And then the second piece is, well, how do we, how do we actually have our contracts assessed and, and looked at and make sure that we're ready um, for you know, the changes? And I think the, the last piece in the puzzle is really diarising in a year, two years, whatever it might be, but on a regular basis to to review these um, contracts because there's case law all the time in this area and things are changing in our understanding of where the limits lie and also what type of clauses are, are, are sort of the regulators feel are unfair is, is changing and we're learning that all the time. So I'm regularly reviewing these going forward. These sort of contracts I think will be important to make sure that the contracts remain fit for purpose. That's a great point, Mark. We are certainly seeing lots of case law on this in terms of how courts have applied these laws, and, and it's certainly going to be an interesting space to watch going forward to see provisions that haven't previously been found unfair in particular scenarios could be unfair, particularly in these new provisions, which are so much broader. Thanks, everyone, for listening today. As always, please get in touch with us if you have any questions. You can find our details on our website, which is hallandwilcox.com.au, including our Unfair Contract Terms Resource Centre, or connect with James Deedy, Mark Leburn, or myself, Susie Leask, on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's episode, then rate, review, or follow our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. This podcast is not legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances.